of the world is within you. Sacred and worthy is your soul. A place has been made for you. Welcome to the First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may also visit us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. This episode's audio selections come from First Unitarian's online service held September 20th, 2020. The title is Courageous Questioning. The homily is by Reverend Mike Moran. Good morning, First Unitarian. Welcome to our worship service this morning. Tonight marks the end of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which began this past Friday evening. Rosh Hashanah is a time for teshuva, which means returning to our true selves. I call us to worship this morning with a prayer centered on teshuva, written by Rabbi Bert Jacobson. I now prepare to unify my whole self, heart, mind, consciousness, body, passions. With this holy community, with the Jewish people everywhere, with all people everywhere, with all life and being, to commune with the source of all being. May I find the words, the music, the movements that will put me in touch with the great light of God. May the rungs of insight and joy that I reach in my devotion flow from me to others and fill all my actions in the world. May the beauty of God rest upon us. May God establish the works of our hands and may the works of our hands establish God. Good morning, First Unitarian Denver. A couple of quick reminders. Um, please stay for the congregational meeting, which is going to take place immediately after our online worship today. There is information on how to register and sign up in the first announce, which came out last Thursday, uh, and will also be on your screen during the postlude this morning. Also, please check first announce for how to participate in the speaker series that's putting on by, being put on by Colorado Unitarian Universalists for Racial Justice. There is one this very evening, begins at 6.30. Over 200 Unitarian Universalists from all across the country are already signed up. Uh, I will be there, and I hope to see you as well. If you are someone who is struggling to pay the bills right now, or put food on the table right now, your church can help. Send me an email, send me a text, message me on Facebook, have someone else do that for you. I'm really easy to reach. The church has made funds available to me to help if it's needed. Um, but I really cannot read your mind. You got to reach out and just let me know what's needed. And uh, all help of, of, is, of course, confidential. Um, but let me know if I can help. My friends, this past week, kind of like the last number of weeks and months, has been pretty brutal. A tremendous loss for our country. A force of nature and intellect and spirit, the Honorable Ruth Gator Ginsburg passed away two days ago. Justice Ginsburg was brilliant and a fighter, 
a friend to women, workers, the poor, the environment, and to justice for all people. Bless her fierce heart, she has carried the hopes and values of millions of people in her 87-year-old body, and the world is a sadder and less interesting and slightly more dangerous place without her in it. May she rest in peace and in power. And may all of us learn from her example. Thank you, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for your life, your spirit, your service. This morning, we also mourn the loss of life and property due to fires in the American West. We mourn the habitats and the creatures and the birds, the soil and the clean air. May those who are making decisions about this and future fires be guided by great wisdom and may they be guided by hard science. And may we all, in whatever way is available to us, put pressure on our own leaders to take action and take climate change seriously. Our prayer today was inspired by my colleague, Reverend Molly Hausch-Gordon from a sermon that she did recently where she listed some recommendations for surviving and perhaps hopefully even thriving in this time of great stress and uncertainty. Find something to give thanks for every day, not as a way of bypassing your stress or anxiety or pretending it doesn't exist, but as a reminder that the world is beautiful and it's terrible. And we've got to remember the beauty if we're gonna survive the terror. Here's a quick tool for recognizing if you're in some kind of spiritual bypass, if you find yourself following a statement of your suffering or stress with something like, but at least I should be glad for, stop. Don't do that. Stop and try again. There's no but, there's no at least, there's no should about your suffering or your stress. It is a truth in and of itself. You're entitled to it. These are tough times. Having gratitude in hard times looks something like a deep and. I am hurting and I am being held tenderly. This loss is shattering and my community is showing up for me. I'm scared and there are millions of people who, would, who will stand with me to fight for what is right. That and is the best theology there is. When you are surrounded by too many questions and options, drill down to the tiniest bit. Small is all and just do the next right thing. And then the next and then the next. And eventually you will be someplace different from where you started and there will be different options available to you. And when you feel robbed of options, when it feels like there's just no answer, no way forward, be, in, be intentional about the decisions that you are able to make. One revelatory, deceptively simple question to ask is, what does love look like right now? Not 
later today, not tomorrow, not next week, but what does love look like right now? Turn the news off and turn the news off frequently. Definitely log off of the doom scrolling. You cannot and will not information your way through this time. And most of our news sources, most of our information sources are intentionally calibrated to keep our bodies on high alert. So we always want more. Opt out. Curate your social media feeds so that it brings you things that make you smile, even if it's kittens and puppies and babies and quotes by inspirational people like Maya Angelou and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Switch to the classical station. It has five-minute news updates once on the hour. That's enough. Rigorously pursue soothing and comfort for your body which is being constantly activated into stress response right now. Start by noticing several times a day that you have a body and what's, ask what's going on below your neck. Continually asking, ask yourself, how could I be even 5% more comfortable or at peace right this moment? Maybe you need a cushion. Maybe you need a heavy blanket. Maybe you need to just go for a walk. Maybe you need to stop what you're doing and just, just breathe. And breathe deeply and rest into this moment. Maybe you need to drink some water. You know, probably you need to drink some water. And finally, for now, remember, you're not alone. Even if you feel that way, reach out to the people who can support you and rely on them. Reach out to your church. If nothing else, ask for what you need and be reliable to your people in return. Stay soft, my dear friends. And we will make it through this stumbling, stressful time. Amen. So if you've been with us for a couple of months, you have uh, been aware that we've been doing a series on courage. We've had services that I hope have scratched the surface at least of emotional courage and intellectual courage and physical courage and moral courage and social courage. And we'll never be done with courage, but this series will conclude this morning with talking about spiritual courage. And as always, right, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing something or facing something or admitting something or sticking with something despite the fear, despite the discomfort, despite risk, despite any anxiety we might be feeling. So by spiritual courage, I'm, I'm more or less referring to facing the really hard, mostly unanswerable questions of purpose and of meaning. Questions about life and death and loneliness and love and God and good and evil and do I have a soul and what would it mean if I did? And I should be clear, I suppose, that you know these questions are not for everyone. It's perfectly possible to go through life with no need whatsoever to torture ourselves with spiritual, religious, or theological questions. Uh, no lack of courage is implied if that's your bag. And 
Most people in my experience, and certainly most Unitarian Universalists, have what I like to call a holy curiosity, a not very well hidden desire to deepen their understanding or expand their vision, to cut through the static, or as Thoreau famously wrote, to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. To live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to cut a broad swath and shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. So spiritual courage means knowing you are unlikely to find those great answers, but asking the questions anyway. It takes spiritual courage to be open to your own fragility, your fleetingly brief chance at life, your undeniable vulnerability, your inevitable mortality. In a universe uncomprehendingly vast, to live knowing that all of us are, all of us are mere dots swirling in a cauldron of mystery. So not only is it common and relentlessly encouraged by a materialistic, unrelentingly superficial culture, but it's also, it's just so easy to avoid those questions, to avoid living with the awareness of those questions, to convince ourselves that because we don't have readily, ready answers, the questions aren't important, or worse yet, convince ourselves or somehow blindly assume that we already know the answers. And when I talk about people who already know the answers, I'm not just referring to religious fundamentalists here. I'm also referring to uh, fundamentalist humanists. I've met a few of those. I'm referring also to a certain breed of atheist who will summarily dismiss any and all religious wisdom simply because it originates with some religion. Or probably my personal least favorite kind of person to argue with, the kind who listens but is really only listening for the things that they disagree with only listens for the tiny chinks of flaw or inconsistency in any statement or position, smugly pointing out all the ways that other people are wrong, unwilling or unable to offer anything other than critique people who never, ever get to yes. If you know what I mean. Courage and cleverness are not the same things. Courage is taking the risk of following your own holy curiosity, listening to that voice or feeling within, taking time to check in with your deepest intuition in the context of your own deepest experience of life and love and suffering and death. What is your inner life telling you? What are you being called towards? Or what are you being called away from? Courage is letting your imagination play with these things, I think. What if, what if that urging you faintly feel or once felt long ago really is divine? You know, a lot of very smart and thoughtful people over a very long period of time have reached that conclusion. What if you really are here for a purpose? What if? And that sense of ennui or uneasiness or low-level 
dissatisfaction you feel in your gut is the universe trying to tell you that you haven't quite found it yet. What if Jesus was right when he said the kingdom of God is within you? And it's been there all along from the very moment of your birth. What if Rumi, the Sufi poet, was right when he wrote, I've been living on the lip of insanity, wanting to know reasons, knocking on doors. The door opens. Ah, I've been knocking from the inside. I think it takes some spiritual courage to understand and admit and own the fact that we're always our own worst enemies on the path to peace of mind and spiritual maturity and intimacy and happiness and love, that the biggest obstacle to our own peace and progress is as close as the reflection in the nearest mirror. I think it takes spiritual courage to let go of our attachment to whatever status quo we have reached in our lives to take responsibility for the choices we have made, the things we've done, the things we have avoided doing all the major and minor moments, relationships, and decisions that have led us to being precisely where we are at this moment, and I mean socially, psychically, and spiritually. So I'm not saying we create our own reality. This is not the prosperity gospel. There's an infinity of things beyond our control. I am saying, though, that after a certain point of being an adult, the responsibility for our inner lives is really our own. And that can be a painful realization. I think it takes spiritual courage to learn to use our own past as a teacher instead of as a weapon. As someone who deals with periodic but pretty serious depression, I know this one personally and intimately. I am utterly and unquestionably my own worst enemy. No one ever has or even could judge me as harshly as I judge myself, and I'm willing to bet there's a good number of you listening for whom that is also true. I think it takes spiritual courage to just stop and take stock and not only recognize that our inner critic, our inner critic lies to us, lies unrelentingly lies ruthlessly, but to then take that knowledge and change the messaging. I think it takes spiritual courage to take responsibility and ownership for the effect that we have on others, wittingly or unwittingly, the way the energy and the intentions of our words and our actions, our tone and our openness or the lack thereof affects the people who are around us, the people we love, the people we depend on, the people who depend on us. And I think it takes spiritual courage to know and own up to and even learn to celebrate the fact that your whole life, and I mean all of it, inner, outer, and in between, your whole life is your laboratory and your mirror. The decisions you make, the way you treat people, the way you treat yourself, the honesty, the kindness, the compassion you allow yourself to feel and respond to, the opportunities to stand up against injustice in the name of love, 
in spite of the fear, in spite of the anxiety, in spite of the inevitable inner critic, in spite of laziness, in spite of everything. And of course, all of this is a journey, not a destination. There's no spiritual place or state of being anyone gets to where it's just all done, total peace, happily ever after. That's not the way this works. Realizing and owning that too takes some spiritual courage. I've shared this before, but it's still true. Over the course of 20 odd years in the ministry, I've had the honor to journey with quite a few people as they have transitioned into their final passing. Spent many afternoons in rooms where decisions were being made about whether or not to go into hospice or whether or not to continue or start some treatment or whether or not to. Afternoons at the bedsides of someone already in hospice. And everyone is different and people have all manner of ways that they react to or face their own impending deaths but I've seen a lot of different stuff. I've seen people terrified. I've seen people who hold on to their denial right up to and even through their very last breath. I've seen people deeply pissed at being helpless and unable to affect things. I've seen people endlessly sad and bereft. And I have seen people completely at peace, ready for whatever comes next. My observation, not original, others have had this observation, but this is my personal observation, is that the difference between people who are struggling in those times with fear, anger, and grief, and the people who are at peace, is that the people who are at peace are people who have wrestled with these big questions. They have found ways to be at peace with their lives and their decisions. They have accepted and forgiven everything, including themselves. And that, that may be the most courageous thing of all. Friends, this is my wish for all of us. The spiritual courage to one day have a good, peaceful death. But more importantly, the spiritual courage to have a mysterious, loving, joyful, and miraculous life. Amen. See you soon. Behind all our differences and beneath our diversity, there is a unity that makes us one and binds us forever together throughout all time, through life and death and the space between the stars throughout all time, through life and space between the stars our benediction today 
is the draft of our congregational covenant. Uh, one of the things we're going to be voting on at the congregational meeting in just a few minutes. It goes just like this. I will listen to you. I will make space for you. I will include you. Together, we will be a community of love, respect, and justice. Together, we will learn about white supremacy culture to create an equitable congregation. Together, we will protect the vulnerable. When we fall out of covenant, we will call each other back in. Go in peace. Thank you for being with us today.